Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey folks, uh, it's Ben Sternke from Gravity Leadership. And before we get to our podcast episode today, I just wanted to let you know about real quick an event uh, that we have coming up in the Dayton, Ohio area. It's called a Gravity Leadership Boot Camp. And uh, the basic idea behind the event is um, to provide, it's a one-day training event on Saturday, August 24th in the Dayton, Ohio area. And the, the basic idea is to provide some time and space to... Uh, not just train pastors and leaders, which is kind of what we do quite a bit of in our coaching cohorts, Gravity Leadership Academy, etc. Um, but but to provide a, a space that's uh, a little bit more geared towards training the everyday person uh, in the pews, so to speak, um, in kind of how this some of this stuff can work out in real concrete and practical ways in their lives. So I want to invite you to that event uh, if you live in the area. Again, it's uh, a Gravity Leadership Boot Camp, the theme of the day is going to be the missional foundations we grow from. Um, we're going to get really practical about belief and behavior and how those two things work together, um, how to discern uh, what beliefs are actually running our lives, the subtle lies uh, that keep us from flourishing in God's kingdom. We'll talk about our, uh, we'll unpack our seven missional axioms. Uh, and there'll be lots of practical discussions and Q&A, uh, all kinds of stuff, talking over meals, uh, just to kind of unpack where people are at and um, uh, what's what's going to be most helpful for y'all, whoever whoever signs up to come. So I'd recommend, you know, not just come in yourself, but uh, maybe bring a few folks from your church, uh, a few some of your leaders, that kind of a thing. That's what the event is meant to uh, help people with. So if you're in the area and that sounds interesting to you, uh, I invite you to go to gravityleadership.com slash bootcamps. That's gravityleadership.com slash bootcamps. And there'll be a link to uh, this upcoming bootcamp. Again, it's Saturday, August 24th uh, in the Dayton, Ohio area. Uh, hope to see you there. Uh, feel free to hit us up if you have any questions. All right, let's get this episode started. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hi, <laughs> friends. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. It's uh, good to be with you. My name is Ben Sternke. I am one of the hosts. I'm here with Matt Tebby. Hi. 
who is also <laughs> one of the hosts who is very gently saying hi to you. Hi. Mm-hmm. I just I reason. feel like uh, sometimes I come on with a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I know my energy can be off-putting sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and your but your humor grows on people. <laughs> that's, well, one, that's an inside joke. Yeah, one of our one of our reviewers uh, on uh, iTunes on iTunes, and if if you if I don't know who this is, uh, the the name didn't wasn't, wasn't familiar to me, but one of our reviewers on iTunes said like you know I think he gave us four stars. It's like the only four star review we have. Yeah. Most of them are five stars. But uh, the only four-star review we had, uh, you know, it says generally positive things. And then the last sentence is, and Matt's humor does grow on you. (laughs) Like a goiter. (laughs) Like an abscess that needs to be lanced. Right. But you get used to it. So it's maybe fine. Yeah. You learn to tolerate it. Uh It's actually an exercise in Christian charity to put up with my humor. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, anyway, no, so I just I just a, realized that's a fun inside joke. your energy. We said this before. You have like grandpa energy, right? Like everything's going to be okay. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> you can trust me. And my energy is more like the the circus barker. <laughs> like, would you look pipe, over here? Look over here. Pipe down. <laughs> I'm trying to watch. We're trying to think a few thoughts in a row. Bearded lady. Yes. Uh, okay. Well. Yeah. So well, anyway, I was testing out a new energy. Okay. I like it. I like it. Well, it's making me giggle a little bit because I'm watching you do it uh, across the room here. Um, friends, uh, Matt and I are joined today by Rob Haynes, Robert Haynes, um, who's going to chat with us a little bit about uh, some research that he's been doing um, and uh, some thoughts that he has that are pretty intriguing to me about short-term missions. Uh, but first of all, Rob, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thanks. What an honor to be with you all. Yes. Do you prefer, I forgot to check this out before we hit record, but do you prefer, prefer Rob or Robert? You can call me anything but late for supper. Yes. You can just go, you can go yeah. with Rob. That's great. Okay, Rob. Uh, that's great. Rob, uh, introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, what are you up to? Where do you live? Um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, thank you. Um, I live in a little town called Fairhope, Alabama. Uh, we live on the Gulf Coast. Hmm. I've been here for a number of years. Uh, I have been a pastor and teacher for about 25 years or so. Hmm. And um, okay. I am a uh, husband and father. Uh, I've been uh, involved in several ministry opportunities, both here in the area and um and some things farther abroad too. Mm. I serve as the director of education and leadership for World Methodist Evangelism, and uh, we serve the over eighty denominations that trace their roots back to the Wesleyan Methodist uh, wow. movement. 80, yeah, eighty denominations. Eighty denominations in one hundred and thirty-eight countries, representing about eighty million people, according to the World Methodist Council. Wow. Yeah, so. Rob Dog's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's a big deal. That's uh, well, I didn't know that all the Methodists, organiz- free Methodists and Methodist Episcopals and all these, I didn't know they all got along like that. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, they do. So um, the World Methodist Council brings together uh, an affiliation with all of that, and we serve all of those denominations. Many of your listeners in the United States may think of the United Methodist Church as the most influential but yeah. that really just represents less than 10% of people wow. who call themselves Methodists worldwide. I did huh. not know that. Yeah. Wesleyan, yeah. As you said, pre-Methodist, Church of the Nazarene, yeah. uh, Wesleyan churches, others, yeah. That's great. Uh, well, uh, very good. Yeah, we're learning something, uh, we learn something new every day on this podcast. Mm-hmm. It's good. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Rob, uh, you recently wrote a book and uh, have done some studies on, you know, in your position there of um, overseeing, what was it called? World Evangelism? World Methodist Evangelism World, is the name yes. of our ministry. World yeah. Methodist Evangelism. And uh, we want to talk today a little bit about um, the very ubiquitous practice uh, that a lot of churches have. A lot of our uh, listeners probably uh, have been on a short-term missions trip. They're probably part of or lead churches that regularly do short-term mission trips. And so, uh, when I was growing up, um, this was an unassumed good thing, Right. Uh, to go on a short-term mission trip, obviously, you know, you're going to give up your spring break or part of your summer vacation for God. And so why could that be bad or why would that be wrong? Um, and so I think a lot of our listeners are probably in the same uh, boat um, in terms of uh, this is this is a ubiquitous thing. But uh, one of the things that you say that I'd love to hear a little bit more about is that short-term missions are failing to live up to their potential because of a lack of of robust theological reflection by leaders and practitioners. So um, I'm curious what potential you are seeing in short-term missions and what uh, theological reflection is is necessary. Maybe even just start off by saying, like, if that's a shocking statement to people, like, wait a second, like, how could these be bad or what's wrong with short-term missions? Um, maybe you could start with that and then fill, fill out that phrase a little bit, like what, what potential is missing here? Sure. If I could just back that up a little bit, uh, the work in short-term mission came out of some of my uh, PhD studies at Durham University over in the UK, Hmm. uh, looking at it from over there back to the United States, but also trying to further explore some of my experiences as a pastor and a leader. Hmm. So as I started in a church uh, as a youth pastor and then as associate pastor and then a, a, a lead pastor, the, there was this idea that missions should be something that you do because it will help grow your church, stronger discipleship. Uh, it was just a, uh, an expectation hmm. of the programmings uh, of youth ministry in particular, right. and also in any sort of thing, a multi-generational as associate pastor who was in charge of missions. But I got really curious as to why that was the case, because people said, hey, you know, you can take this trip. And it will grow uh, your young adult ministries. It'll grow these other ministries. And uh, in the, along the way, people will be helped. And that mm-hmm. can be nothing but a good thing. Right. But then I really got curious, you know, who's this for anyway? Uh, and what's going on in this process? Because if we serve another and that helps us grow closer to God, which one should come first? Mm-hmm. The desire to grow closer and more Christ-like? Or the one to serve, uh, just to serve somebody, and then along the way you'll uh, you'll be discipled. Right. Um, huh. And then the other part of that was if we live in a part of the world where we say that the church is in decline, we're in increasingly post-Christian context, and all this sort of thing. What's going on uh, when you send somebody from that place to a place where the church is growing by leaps and bounds? And uh, all the numbers bear that out. Yeah. So what theological transactions are going on uh, when you send somebody off to this other place and how are they coming home different? Hmm. So that uh, led me to some exploration of this. And I found that there were a ton of things that said, here are the five things that you should not do in short-term mission. And here are the five things that you should do in short-term mission and everything will be great. Hmm. And sometimes that feels like playing that whack-a-mole game, you know, where the thing pops up, and you just hit it with a hammer and you knock right. it down whenever it, right. it appears. Yeah. 
But uh, it seems to me that if we truly want to change a practice, we have to work on theologies. Hmm. Because theologies shape motivations, hmm. and motivations shape practices. Yes. And if we want to make a long-lasting change, instead of just you know uh, uh, giving our attention to the things that pop up right then, yeah, let's do some uh, very important theological work hmm. to change a long-term practice. Yeah. So instead hmm. of whacking practices, you want to whack the theology. <laughs> or, or maybe exercise that theology a little bit more so that those uh, yeah. so it is not necessary to whack so much. Well, okay, I got it. well, uh, to follow the metaphor this is the image that popped into my head. You know, the the whack a mole game. Obviously, there's some mechanism by which the moles pop up, mm. right? And About so if we're just going to whack, or... yeah, you know what I mean. So if we're just going to whack the like wha- like whacking the practices, but I, I see what you're talking about, uh, Rob, as a little bit more like like disassembling the machine and saying, why are these moles popping up in the pattern that they are? And is this the most helpful pattern for moles to pop up in? <laughs> I think that's a really helpful analogy. You know what I mean? yeah, yeah. 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 So the, uh, so the theology has to be explored and examined. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Rob, can you get brass tacks with us? Like what, maybe give us one or two or three. I mean, this, this podcast, your candy store, man. So you just go for it. Like how, like give us some theology. Yeah. What is that? Theology? Yeah. What is the corrective and how do you, how do you uh, distinguish between the unhelpful and helpful? Sure. Well, I think, I think it's important to ask where are our motivations for these short-term mission trips coming from? Mm-hmm. And in terms of my research, uh, I went out and asked people uh, who were going on a short-term mission trip. Uh, through focus group interviews, sitting there with their team, why are you doing this? What you know, what what's going on? Mm-hmm. And um, then I would ask them a question, something along the lines of, "Hey, let's pretend that you know you're going to go teach a small group class or a, a Bible study or Sunday school. Uh, you're going to preach, and what sort of verses would you use to talk about your mission trip?" So, looking for their biblical understandings of mission. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was a pretty softball question. I thought it was pretty easy because <laughs> yeah. you could just say, you know, go the Great Commission, yeah. Acts 1, Acts 2, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, frequently, that was one of the most difficult questions for people to answer. Hmm. Really? So uh, when they did answer, there was go and there was, you know, some of those things that I mentioned before, the Great Commission and that sort of thing. But also people frequently talked about why they uh, were going, what they were going to get out of it, you know, versus a personal comfort. Uh, One team leader didn't give me um, a verse. He uh, sung some song lyrics from a very popular worship uh, leader uh, talking about how he was going to be renewed and strengthened. Uh, One leader who had been leading teams for a couple of decades told me that, uh, you know, the Bible wasn't really a, a big thing for him, and I needed to go ask the VBS leader mm. uh, about Bible verses. <laughs> and so uh, and so in looking at that, I would first of all say we need to have a very solid understanding of the scriptural mandate for mission, mm. and then how does that understanding shape what we're doing in terms of short-term mission? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what, um, you know, what is, like, what, What's the corrective? Is it wrong for me to want to be renewed uh, on this short-term mission? Um, or y- you hear what I'm saying? Like, is that renewed. so? Which um, is it? Is it wrong to spend thousands of dollars for me to use poor, non-white <laughs> persons to help 
me feel spiritually refreshed? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, right. Uh, well, when you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> when you put it that way. I mean, so I have a lot of... Uh, this won't. This is part of my yard. This is part of my circus barker energy. <laughs> I, I feel like I have a lot of angst about short-term missions, yeah. um, because I I do think, ultimately, they quote benefit people who take them, in in more in more substantial ways in many cases than mm-hmm. the people who receive them. Right. Uh, and I think there's some unhelpful dynamics about power and wealth and culture that I'm waking up to that I see short-term missions being sort of a the epitome of the problem right. in many yeah, ways, right? Yeah. They perpetuate unhelpful things. Mm-hmm. So I am kind of skeptical, cynical about short-term missions to begin with, mm-hmm. and I just want to own that mm-hmm. here in this space with yeah. you, with you, Rob. I'm just, yeah. I feel the need to reveal that. But I would love to... <laughs> Help me, help me, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah. I think you've asked, a, uh, you've brought up a series of great points. Um, so let's take the the biblical talk first, a, a little bit about that, and then we can start maybe laying some foundation on the others. Would that be fair? Yes. So uh, I am compelled. Uh, Leslie Newbegin talks about uh, some uh, very helpful, um, almost bookends in looking at mission. Uh, Newbegin being a missiologist uh, in the mid 20th century. Mm-hmm. And he points first to how Jesus began his ministry. When, when we ask, you know, why did Jesus come? You look to Luke chapter four, when he enrolls a scroll uh, in the Nazarene synagogue. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, release of the captives, recovery of sight of the blind, oppressed to the free, uh, let the oppressed go free, and the year of the Lord's favor. Right. So then at the end of his ministry in John 20, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples and he breathes on them, the Holy spirit. And he says, peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you as the father has sent me. So now I send you. Mm-hmm. And Newbegin says those two letters and as, and those two letters. And so are the most powerful words and all of the scripture, because all of the things that Jesus did, we are now to go do as well. So to what degree are we fulfilling that mandate from Luke chapter four that he's passed on Mm -hmm. to others? Mm -hmm. So in terms of mission, I think it's a really helpful point to begin the discussion. Now, so short, so short term missions, whatever they are and however valid they are, uh, they need to fit into Jesus' definition of mission overall. Is that what you're saying? So, to that point, where did Jesus say, I'm going to do feed, feeding these 5,000 men plus the women and children or healing of this person or even to the point of death on a cross to help benefit himself? Mm. Or did he instruct the disciples to do the same? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rather... The, the epistles show us that there was a self-emptying. There's a yes. there's a cruciform uh, posture posture of service hmm. that, that one assumes when they're serving another. Yeah, and so that, I think that turns on its head some of those narratives you mentioned in terms of of how and why we do mission. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to get to get blessed. You know, I'm gonna go to get spiritually renewed. This is really gonna help me grow. I think, but I think part of the problem is is that. Um, we don't just own that, right? So, like, we don't just own that. 
you know, maybe some unhelpful missions, people feel spiritually renewed, you know. Uh, but there is, oh, uh, you're talking my language, Rob, with, you know, cruciform, canonic, self-emptying, you know, sacrificial love in the way of the cross. Like, th- l- let's not let's not pretend like that's all tiptoeing through the tulips of Jesus. I mean, that could be really hard, and death feels like death, and taking up the cross isn't about, you know, having the best quiet time ever sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes mm-hmm. there is a cost we pay, but on the other side of that, there is resurrection, too. So it can be spiritually fulfilling to pour yeah. out my life for somebody else. Yeah. And I think that part of part of the issue, at least for, in my experience, is we don't just own, hey, this is not only to help other people, but this will be spiritually renewing for you. Hmm. Right? Like, can we just own that? Is that wrong? Well, sure. And I think that plays into another part of what we've done in church history and this is what I put in dialogue in the book, and that is the idea of a pilgrimage. Yeah, I wanted to ask mm. you about that. <clears throat> like, so, yeah. so there has been some work, a little bit of academic work, in terms of putting mission and pilgrimage in conversation with one another. So let's talk about uh, historically what a pilgrimage is. A group of people would come together. Uh, maybe they would be somewhat similar. Maybe they have some vast differences. But for a while, they're going to be similar. Yeah. There's going to be a stripping of power. Uh, and hierarchy, and everyone is the same for a while. Hmm. They're going to travel to a place uh, different than their home. They're going to go to a place where they think God has worked before, that he may very well work again, and he will work in them, and they will be different than when they come home. So picture like an ellipse, you know, where they've headed out and they've come back again. They went to places like Jerusalem or Lourdes or Rome or whatever that was, Hmm. and for a while they saw shrines or cathedrals and venerated these places where people uh, saw miracles or understood things that happened. So that's not too far of a leap to start talking about how sometimes people frame a short-term mission trip. Yes. Yes. They're going to come together and the guy who, uh, you know, is the doctor is going to get out there and, you know, work in a rough, rough condition. The person who really has no experience, maybe the pharmacist or maybe the doctor's assistant, uh, you know, if we're doing a construction trip, the person who's the lawyer or the banker is going to be the one who hauls the cinder blocks and the nationals mm. are going to be the one who does, uh, who, who does the construction for you know, uh, leading and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And while we're there, something's going to happen and we're going to uh, maybe venerate or even idealize uh, something. It could be uh, poverty. It could be uh, people living through difficult situations and still having a great spiritual life. And they're going to impact us and we're going to come home different. So sometimes what I've found is that sometimes there are these idealizations of poverty or what's perceived as poverty or perceived as substandard conditions or living. Hmm. And that is the thing that people venerate or idealize to be impactful in their own lives. Hmm. Can you say more about idealizing it? What does it look like to idealize poverty? So sometimes people say those people, quote, and air quotes that you can't see there, uh, have so much spiritual wealth, but physical poverty. And I have so much physical wealth, but spiritual poverty. So I want to be more like them. Because they're poor, they have to walk everywhere. Because they are poor, they have to all live in one big house together, and their family is stronger, and that sort of thing. That there's also a compression of time and space that yeah. people don't always uh, deal with as well. 
Yeah. Because there is the fact that most people get on a plane, and I'm talking about international mission trips here. When I should, yeah, I, sure. I should clarify that. Uh, yeah. Frequently, we're talking about that. You get on a plane, you go someplace else. You know, a few hours ago, you were in the United States, and um, now you're in this other environment where the language is different, the food is different, the customs are different, and you see uh, sometimes what is the best that people can give for a week or so. And, uh, and then you go home and sometimes these idealizations are then translated into saying, that's how people always live there. People are always happy. They never have problems. They never have spats and right. never have uh, the sort of things that I face at home. However, I wonder if people say that, how many times do people say, well, you know, I do have all this physical wealth and spiritual poverty. So I'm going to sell this and move out of this and give away that. I'm sure it happens like 80, 90% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I, uh, I never, I never really thought about that dynamic, Rob, of, I mean, I could pretty much fool anybody for a week. Yeah. Mm. You know, like if somebody's going to come live in my space and eat from my table yeah. and they're serving me the in a way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I can, you know, I can talk a pretty good game. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, my 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 wife and I, we do host, you know, people in our home. I'm you know, hosting somebody uh, next week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I, I'm just aware of, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic because I'm aware of how I feel like after just even a few days of, of kind of hosting somebody is like, I, I like doing it, you know, but there is this a little bit of a, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like back to back to something, you know, back like to after, yelling at my kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Right. You know, there's, there's a sense in which, uh, there's always a little bit of a, yeah, performance that's, um, you know, maybe that's a bad term for it, but, but yeah. So, so you're saying Rob, the idealization can happen because we only see, you know, these, these people who are hosting us for, you know, maybe one week out of their, out of the year. And we've got these ideas, uh, that we carry around with us. Yeah, that are idealizations of, of poverty that that are unhelpful, right? I, I think to some degree that is the case, and you're onto something there. You, you do that when you um, are a guest in someone's home, or you're the host for a while. You you put mm-hmm. your best yeah. forward uh, yeah. for a certain period of time, and uh, you know if you were to talk to some people who went on uh, these mission trips, maybe year after year. And then uh, people go down to live for longer term, six months, nine months to serve, maybe even a year. Uh, then you find out that, hey, you know, uh, this pastor, he gets short-tempered sometimes, just like I see people do at home or people have struggles with, you know, this or that, just like happened at home. And it really maybe wasn't that. Hmm. But also there are these narratives that sometimes people have put together uh, that people project on their hosts. So uh, I talk about this a little bit in the book, and there's a, a another academic work where someone was embedded with a short-term mission team and there was a high school student there. Hmm. And she talked about uh, how this young boy gave them a bag of fruit uh, who uh, was nearby their work site. And he was in a hammock all day and uh, outside the store. And the girl told the team that day that this young man uh, lived in a hammock and that was all he had. And he had no fruit to give, but he gave him this bag of fruit and she was moved to tears by the whole idea that this boy gave so much to them Mm -hmm. who didn't really need it, but it was a gift. So they found out throughout the week that no, this boy actually didn't live in the hammock. He lived in the house above the store. 
Hmm. And his family ran the store and they were just trying to return the kindness uh, by giving him a bag of fruit that they had plenty of in the store. <laughs> yeah. But even though this, this young high school student knew the story, she never uh, plugged into that. She kept the idealization that she had in her head that this person would give out of the little. Yeah. And, uh, and that was what moved her more than anything else. So in terms wow. of idealization, sometimes we have to be willing to deconstruct those to see what's more. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it affects, you know, my ability to tell a really moving story and bring myself to tears. Yeah. It's fascinating. There's another dynamic too, Rob. I'm curious if you've seen this It's a, kind of the savior complex. Mm. Um, so I, I worked at a church for a while that would do um, like would fill boxes of food to take mm-hmm. down to Honduras. And I think it began because the um, an area in Honduras was uh, devastated by a hurricane or some, natural disaster, and there was this mobilization of, of food and water, etc. But uh, each year at the same time, this this ministry, um, this missions ministry of the church I was involved in, would, would sell these big plastic tubs, say, buy this tub and put these things in it and bring it and tape it up, and we're going to we're gonna ship it down to Honduras and deliver it. We're going to make this mission team. And um, the lead pastor was kind of tolerating this. He went down one year, and he met with the guy who ran it. And he's like, yeah, just to be honest, we're we're doing this for you guys. He's like, <laughs> right. he's like, this isn't interesting. This this we do this with churches all the time because the churches want to do it, and it's one way that we maintain our relationship with churches. Hmm. But honestly, there's a hundred other things that we could uh, we could utilize or mobilize people for from your church. But but most churches don't want that. They want to hmm. fill a box. They want to bring it down, and they want to pass it out and hand it to people. And so, I mean, I, I don't know if you see this as well. Like, there's this sense of which we've got mission that we want to do that isn't necessarily helpful for people on the ground. And then there's things that are needed on the ground that's not the things we want to do. I think you bring up some great points, and you you allude a little bit to some things that you all have talked about on some podcasts and not too distant past, and that was the power dynamics Yes. And just by uh, your place uh, of where you come from, of who you are, uh, there is a power dynamic there uh, that you need to be aware of. So I'm mm. thinking of a time where we led a medical team. We were invited by a doctor in South America. He asked me to bring more doctors to help him see people. And so we set up a clinic in a place that he, he guided us to do so. We're running people through and we're starting to notice after a couple of days that several people have mentioned that they were just at a doctor down the road who was from that uh, country that was hosting us. And I asked somebody and they said, well, no, you're the white American. And so automatically, even people here assume that you know more than the mm. doctors who are already, who live here yeah. and, uh, and speak the language and are from the same background. And I was crushed. Hmm. I was absolutely crushed that we were undoing something that we thought we were following all the right guidelines but the power dynamics of uh, of my place of birth, of race, all those sorts of things are, are more impactful than we realize. So, Rob, yeah. that's immediately I immediately connect with that and resonate with why that's unhelpful. But if somebody's listening and they're like, "What's the big deal? Why is that a problem?" Maybe maybe the Western trained doctor does know more than the person who's not trained at John Hopkins. Uh, can you just get really explicit about why? that work in that culture is unhelpful. And maybe I would just even go so far as to say, like not doing 
like kingdom work. Like, mm. why is this such a problem? Hmm. Well, let me say that I think there are things that we can share in resources globally, and we are called to do that. But mm. we have to do so in such a way that allows the host nation and the host pastors to lead. Because in reality, you'll be gone in a week, maybe two weeks. And when I say short-term mission, I need to clarify, I'm talking two weeks or less. Mm -hmm. The average trip is nine days. And so who will still be there is that pastor who needs to be there when that person is sick or has something to celebrate, like a birth or a wedding, Mm -hmm. but also when they're going through life themselves. And so many times there is a, a, a paternalism or a dependency that is built upon when you're talking about taking these items down, say, in which it undercuts the dignity of the people that uh, that are hosting there. It undercuts the long-term health of the church. Mm-hmm. It undercuts long-term health of the economy. So if you take down, say, um, boxes full of food, the grocery store down the street in that, in that village where you may be working now isn't going to sell food for two weeks. Mm. And so the family that is trying to support themselves in that business, you've now undercut unwittingly yeah. by taking down all this stuff to help yes. out. Or or they grab the boxes off the truck and put the food in their store and sell it back to the people. <laughs> <laughs> if we can export anything, it's a little hey, capitalistic yeah. instinct. Uh, huh? Opportunities. <laughs> no, that's... Uh, Rob, that's really helpful, man. It's really helpful. And I think, I mean, p- part of the key there that I'm hearing in, in the stories that you're talking about and, you know, Matt, the story of the senior pastor who finally asked, you know, the, the, <laughs> hey, the le- is how this is this going? Yeah, yeah, is this helping you? Is, is just the, the responsibility, I think, of the person who is in power. Like, first of all, you have to recognize that you have it. You know what I mean? Like, you have to recognize I have this power. Like, I didn't, maybe didn't, didn't ask for it, but I have this power. I have this privilege. There is a there is a sense that I I have it I have to I have to own that and acknowledge that, but then like the responsibility of that person then to listen basically to just listen to the impact of of our actions and be open and aware that there may be things happening that are hidden from me that I need to be aware of and so it's just yeah it's just so important to listen, um, and I think we who are in places of power are not used to doing that. We're used to assuming that we have the right ideas and good intentions, and you know we should just we should just act on these good intentions and these good ideas that we have, rather than listening. And that's why I think it's so important to do the the harder work of theology in this, and and that's hmm. not exciting a lot of times, but it's it's so important. Um, and so let's go back to the idea of of the biblical motivation for mission. If it's yeah. not there, I got really curious as to what was filling. This this motivation for mission. Hmm. So, if it's not Luke four, what is it? Is, is basically. Well, let me go back and give you a couple of numbers, and then I'll go back and and, ex- and answer that question. Okay. Short term mission, as you said, is ubiquitous, and it is um, it is so much uh, of a of a money exchange as well. So the numbers bear out somewhere between 1.8 and 2 million Americans will go on a short-term mission trip every year. Okay. They'll spend on average of $1,000 plus transportation. Mm-hmm. And then they will um, do about 30,000 person years of service. So that's well over $3 billion um, of cash and in-kind services every year hmm. uh, from the United States to another part of the world. Now that's that. I mean, that can be a great thing when you're sure. talking about so many places that need these resources. Mm-hmm. 
And so uh, in terms of the research, what I did was I would ask people, let's say you and I are having this conversation about your trip in a cafe and the person next to us at the table happens to hear, overhear the conversation and she interrupts and she says, uh, you know, what I think you're doing is great. And, uh, you know, if you'll stay home, I'll write a check for the whole trip. What would you say? And all of the people in my interview sets all said no across the board. No way. Hmm. When I asked what frequently came up was the idea of an experience. Yeah. So, and it came up not just in terms of money, it came up in lots of different ways. There was this desire to see, to touch, to feel, to hear, to experience something that they had not experienced before. Hmm. And there's some uh, work out there by economists that say that we live in an economy of experience today. Yes. Right. Right. So in one generation, it was commodities, you know, eggs and flour. And they use the idea of a birthday cake, uh, eggs and flour. You make the birthday cake that you had in the backyard or you had in the pantry. Mm-hmm. And then in a goods economy, you go and you buy the mix off the, stel- the shelf in the grocery store. Okay. Uh, in a service economy, you call the grocery store and they make the cake they for you. Cake. Right. But in an experience economy, you call the bouncy house place and you spend $400 for everyone to jump around for a few hours yeah. and they give you Cake or you hire somebody Dude. you hire somebody to to like teach you how to make a cake. That's right. And you that's do a right. cooking class. Yeah. Right. Yeah, dude, yeah. dude, dude, the experience economy. Mm-hmm. Examining the suburban church in America mm-hmm. through the experience economy. That's a PhD. Dude. Ah, <laughs> uh, you got uh, I can't even talk. I think I think I think you I think you all are right on it. Now there's a book called The Experience Economy. Yeah. And uh it is a fantastic work and and they take a look at it and if you read the epilogue they even present the gospel at the end. It's a, it's a Harvard Business Review book. Huh. And it is so helpful to think about how we do ministry. Yeah. Because we are driven by experience economy. If you take your kids to say this big uh theme park in Orlando, right? You could spend thousands of dollars right. and come away with nothing in your hands. Right. You Dude, purchase an experience. Right. You're talking about my life here. <laughs> we go to the, and look, we go I to Disney love, World all the time. <laughs> I, I love to go to those places. But in yeah. terms of mission, yeah. are we called to craft an experience? Yeah. Or are we called to be uh, examples of the crucis form service that Christ mm. uh, exemplified for us mm. that we mentioned before? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with an experience, right. but I'm wondering how much of this desire for an experience is driving that yes. idea for mission. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's, if we don't question that. Or we, just own it. Or just own the fact <laughs> that I'm looking for an experience. Right. Then we are then susceptible to all these blind spots, all, getting hit with all these unintended consequences that we're not aware of because like what we're holding on to is like, well, I got to have this experience. I gotta have this experience. I'm wondering, um, uh, Rob, as you as you talk, like one of the other, I don't know if you've done any research on this or whatever, but um, one of the other things that wouldn't happen if the lady who overheard the conversation just wrote a check. Mm. One of the other things that wouldn't happen is that relationships wouldn't take place. Like there there are some relationships that that start and begin there uh, that wouldn't take place in another. If somebody just wrote a check, sure. um, is that a, a bit, but maybe that's not the case in short-term missions, but that long-term relationships get developed or? Well, well I, I, Rob, Rob, I will say one of the things that attracts me the most to short-term missions personally, 
if I can just speak autobiographically, <laughs> is that uh, banding together with a group of people where the focus isn't on me and my needs and what I need mm-hmm. and what I want, but focusing on mission together yeah. can be some of the strongest community building experiences I've ever had. Yeah. So you can go on mission trip with somebody who's totally unlike you, voted for somebody you didn't, in a different stage of life, different demographic, but you, you're like, you know, you, ha- you share this common, quote, hardship or bunker or uh, service experience that bonds you together. Pilgrimage. Across affiliation lines. Yeah. You know, and I see that as a powerful motivator for people who go on short-term missions. I don't know if the research bears that out or not. Sure. Well, I, I hear you asking two questions. When you say building relationships, do you mean relationship with the mission host or relationship with other team members? Which one do you? Which one? Should I we think take I was first? talking about relationship with the mission host, uh, and I think Matt, you were talking about relationship with team members. Yes. Which I associate with the pilgrimage idea. But sure. I, but I haven't, I, I haven't heard you talk about that like relationship with the mission host apart from economic good and in that kind of impact. Like, yeah, that's that's the dynamic. I guess I'm curious about. So let's talk about mission host first, and then yeah. I would love to talk about mission team members if we can. Sure. Um, so with the mission host, by all means, I, I am a strong advocate of building those intercultural relationships across those boundaries. Mm-hmm. At the same time, uh, for those of us who may say, I want to build relationship with someone over there, uh, well, I think we need to be real honest. What kind of relationship can we build in that intense environment for five or six days? Right. We're doing that. That's authentic. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, how many of us have a relationship with, say, 10 of our neighbors that <laughs> yeah. live right. our street? Right. Or are in our small groups or something Mm. like that. Are we being that same uh, to that same degree? Are we putting that much energy into that? Mm. And and I'm speaking to myself here when I say that. Sure. Um, So I think we need to be real honest about those power dynamics that we've already mentioned uh, of what money does in that, of what position does in that. So I would encourage a short term team to say, okay, if you're going to go there invite them to come to your church and you find the place where they should stay and live and find foods that they like and translators and for things for them to do. And the church in the United States should pay for it because right. the, the money dynamics are not there for them. Hmm. So that think about how that would change that the would. relationship and how it would yeah, That's fascinating. Put that into your pipe and smoke it Christians. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let, let them uh, lead the service on Sunday and see how exactly. it goes. You know what I mean? Yeah, all yeah. of that. Do all the stuff that you would do down there. Have them, have them help mm. you up here. Yeah. I love that. That's a great idea. I, I think that reverse idea would be fascinating. Now, the other point of building with the team, I think mm-hmm. you're absolutely right, that it is rooted in this idea of pilgrimage. So studies of sociology tell us that when we enter that, that liminal space, that space mm-hmm. that we are different from home, yep. that is the place where we grow the most. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. think about, you know, moving off to college or when you're first married or you get your first apartment or whatever those spaces may be that are new yep. and how much you grow in those spaces first. Yes. And so only in the liminal space are we able to uh, possibly see the most potential for growth. And so when you're in a place where the food is different, the language is different, you're different from home, you've never been there, you you come along with this group of similars, you know, similar uh, backgrounds and people, yeah. and you turn to them and you do grow more than uh, more than you could if mm. you were just back in the yeah. same old, same old home. Yeah, mm. that's, that's one of the um, consequences of living in power in our culture is that you 
you minimize the liminal spaces you have to navigate on a day-to-day basis. That other people outside of power, whether it's gender or or race or economics, et cetera, they have liminal spaces all the time. They can't avoid them where they are navigating something other or different. Yeah, where they don't quite feel at home. Yeah. It's not quite safe it's not quite yeah yeah so makes sense and uh, so here's the skeptic cynic for me what if like white dudes have are so attracted to short-term missions because they encounter liminal spaces there and they don't get them other other places and they realize how necessary and vital it is for them to grow like interesting you know like the experience economy or the yeah the experience economy like it's one of the only places we can go to be confronted with our own otherness because we have power, because we're mainstream, because we're not marginalized in our culture of origin. I don't know. Mm. I'm just talking out of my butt here, but it's a question I really have. Yeah, yeah. Well, you may be onto something. We've talked a lot about youth and and college students, but the average person on a short-term mission trip is not a a youth or a college student. It's a white, married, college-educated male in his 40s or 50s who lives in a relatively homogenous suburb in the south of the Midwest. He's affiliated with an evangelical church. He's been a member for at least three years, attends mm-hmm. every Sunday, holds a lay leadership position, like chairing a committee or teaching a Sunday school. And so it's a, usually your typical church member, except that more women are church members than men. You right. just described Ben Sternke. You just <laughs> named Ben Sternke. <laughs> but to uh, your you feel point, seen, Ben? Matt, you feel seen? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. But to your point, Matt, in, in thinking about the uh, the culture in which we live now, in which we have communities, these diaspora communities in the United States of all sorts of different cultures around, it's not so hard to come into a liminal space to drive down to another part of town we wouldn't normally do uh, visit yeah. or be a part of. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and and I think that in short term missions, that liminal space is seen as advantageous, desirable something where I can bring value. But in our own culture, where these liminal spaces, we have potential for entering into difference, otherness, uh, dissonance, disorientation, the cultural narrative, which is driven mostly by, in our day and age, politics, like the narrative behind it is liminal spaces are threatening Mm -hmm. and dangerous Mm -hmm. to you. Yeah. Mm. Well, and There be dragons, basically. (laughs) <laughs> well, how many people, though, come, say, to the United States who are in a liminal space all the time? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, so for example, uh, not too far from me is one of the fastest growing Korean churches in America mm-hmm. uh, is in Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, that is because there are some uh, economic uh, factories, you know, factories and other engines that are driving that. Hmm. But think about someone from that, how liminal they are every single day. Yeah. Uh, so the church then has to provide a place or can provide a place rather where there can be some, some coming together, the similars. So I was talking to a, a pastor colleague who's in, in London. So you think about all of this, but how do you keep a liminal uh, a safety from this liminal space all the time, but also celebrate a multicultural space in the church? Mm. So uh, he says, as you join this church in London, you're expected to be in the multicultural facets of worship. But you're also expected to join a, a group of people from your, your country of origin. Hmm. And that is the place where you can be outside that liminal space for a while, where you can speak your language, you have your foods, all those sorts of things. So the, cult, the church celebrates the diversity yes. that the church is, capital C, hmm. 
Hmm. But also we can have these spaces where we can let our guard down for a while and be more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, so what I hear you saying is liminal is neither holy or unholy that, uh, and there's this human desire to be with, uh, people who get us, who know, who know our givens, our assumptions, let down uh, our hair. Yeah, we don't, we don't have, have to, to be, on, be guard, on guard, or we don't have to be right. constantly like in our you know left brain trying to figure everything out. We can just relax. Uh, but but I do think it comes back to power. Like there are there are people like South Koreans in Alabama who look around and they don't have any illusion that like we're in charge here. <laughs> you know, right. like That's right. you know this. Yeah. You know, we've come home to the South. Right. And so there is a sense in which a bunch of South Koreans banding together in a you know South Korean church or either North Korean church in Alabama is different than a bunch of uh, white people banding together at a church in Alabama. Like there's a different, it's doing different work for them. I guess is what exactly I'm thinking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, Rob, what, what are you doing tonight? Do you have a chance just to go? Can we go like another four hours? Jeez. Let's keep this going. I'm loving I, this conversation. I, I feel like yeah. there's just so much here that, like, short-term missions is sort of a microcosm of yes. of so many different cultural artifacts and sociological happenings that we can sort of hold it up and mm-hmm. and get little light from each of the facets yeah. of it. That's yeah. how it feels to me. Yeah, it's it is. It's fascinating. What um, it does feel like it's it it could go uh, you know for four more hours and go a lot deeper, but uh, in the interest of uh, a reasonable podcast time, uh, and um, and uh, helping people who are maybe listening to say like okay well what do I do like I you know we've got this youth missions trip coming up or we're planning this thing next year like we've got a buddy who's invited us to come to Puerto Rico yeah and said hey bring some people down to Puerto Rico bring some people we'll do, we'll help us rebuild mission you yeah yeah. Yeah, and he uh, he's a great guy. Really like him. He's a Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Um, recently moved back there. Um, but yeah, how how do you think about uh, how? What advice would you give pastors, leaders, maybe even just like Late parents, people. you know, uh, whose kids want to go on a missions trip? Like, sure. what what? How can we begin to inhabit uh, this this new way of uh, reflecting on it, like a more robust theological reflection uh, on some of these things? Are there are there practical things that people can come away with and think, okay, I, I know how to start to turn this ship in my right. church or in my family. Sure. Well, let me offer a quote from uh, Miriam Adeni, who uh, writes in, in Mission and Evangelism. Um, she says, when medicine is practiced poorly, when engineering is done badly, when cooking is unsanitary, people can get hurt. Despite well-intentioned efforts, labs and families can get sick. In the same way, short-term mission efforts done poorly can cause damage and sometimes great damage. Mm. So how then can we make this more healthy? And let me let me emphasize, I'm not saying that people should quit participating in these, and I'm not saying that people should stop international relationships. Mm. Quite the opposite. What I want to mm. do, as I said, is work on this theology. So I, I, I would propose five points. One, make sure that everything you do is rooted in Scripture. Uh, I know that you have a lot to cover in your short-term mission meetings, but lay aside the time um, of logistics planning for some really serious Bible study. Get mm. some books that are out there. Contact your denominational leaders if that's you know where you are, or find some of those and um, and use those to do some of that that other reflection. Hmm. Yes, the bags will get packed, and you will remember all those <laughs> supplies for VBS. But make sure that you have spent some time in Scripture. Number two, short-term missions should embrace the role of the larger church. 
realizing that God was already there when you showed up in whatever country you're visiting Amen. and he will be there after you're leaving, after you're gone. And so while you're there, realize that you're serving that other church and, uh, and you're just one small part of what's going on there. Yeah. Number three, uh, affirm that evangelism is mission. Sometimes we want to step away and say, oh, you know, we're not going to talk about Jesus. We're going to just do these things. But uh, the proclamations of faith uh, by deed are always matched with word in Scripture. Hmm. Um, and then number four, I would say uh, we must insist that mission is not merely evangelism. Uh, just dropping some tracks in and, you know, preaching to people uh, and then making them uh, go through all of that before you feed them or something like that. I just reexamine <laughs> right. that and just yeah. put those together holistically. Rethink your life. And, yeah. yeah. And, yes. and number five, I would expect an ongoing discipleship in the lives of the practitioners and the recipients. So mm. in a place where uh, people can be discipled if they have made a decision to follow Christ, but also expect that robust discipleship on the part of the people who are participating in the short-term mission trip too. Yeah. That's really helpful, Rob. That's really helpful. It lines up so well with like the, one of the ways we train uh, leaders in, in our, in our coaching is, is to, is to begin to kind of see the, see mission and discipleship more as mutuality that's that right. we're not coming to like give you, we're not coming as the experts who know stuff that we want to teach you. We don't come as the, people who can do stuff or people that have the answers for you. But we come as people who, and this is Luke 10, right? Where Jesus trains his disciples. Right. You go out as people who have a need. We need a place to stay. We need something from you. And then we have something to offer. And there's this reciprocation. There's this mutuality. And as people engage in that, the kingdom of God is opened up and, and we all get to grow. We all get to learn um, yeah, as we kind of open up that that space where we're not being benefactors for each other, yeah. but rather we're learning and growing with each other in the Spirit. Yeah, look again at that Luke 10 passage, because there's, um, you know, Jesus says the kingdom of God has come upon you, and we always mm-hmm. link it to the activity of the apostles who mm-hmm. have done right. something, Yeah, but he's also referring to the fact that you eat what's set before you, and you say right. peace to somebody and they receive you. Yeah. That's part of the kingdom. Yeah. That's come upon you. Right. Not just the fact that you did the, uh, you waved the Jesus wand and, uh, and, and cured the sick. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? Yeah. Rob, we have talked this entire time about your book, but you, I don't know if I've heard the title of it. <laughs> what is it? I'm, How do people find it? I'm guessing that if you were to purchase Rob's book, you would have some of these theological resources yes. and maybe a better structure to train or plan on how to do short-term missions. So tell us the name of the book, Rob. Sure. The name of the book is Consuming Mission Towards a Theology of Short-Term Mission and Pilgrimage. Hmm. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's great. Great. And is it, it, they just can get it anywhere? So you can go to consumingmission.com. Okay. Uh, you can get the book there. You can get in touch with me there. It is available on Amazon. It's uh, in print, ebook, um, all those different ways. Excellent. Good. I'm just going to drive to my Borders bookstore and pick that up. <laughs> I've got yeah. bad news for you after we stop the podcast, Matt, <laughs> about borders. It, it involves borders. You know how borders went out of business? Speaking of consuming, they uh, tried no. to get into, let me tell you, okay. they tried to get into the online book sales early in the 2000s, and they didn't create a platform of their own for it. They decided to use this small company that wasn't making any money called Amazon uh. and have them fulfill all their online orders. And what happened was Amazon did fill, fulfill the orders that border, uh, pe- things that sold at borders, but they got all these people on their mailing list mm. 
mm-hmm. and co- uh, like curated their consumer interests and preferences. And so basically Borders, trying to farm out one aspect of their business, basically got did themselves eaten. in. Yeah, they got eaten by Amazon. They gave Amazon their mailing list. Amazing. Anyway. Wow. So didn't, didn't realize how valuable it was. Whoops. That's another podcast. <laughs> uh, Rob, it's been great, great to talk to you, man. Yeah. Hey, yeah. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, God Very bless good. you. And we can consumingmission.com. Are consumingmission.com. That's how they can connect with you. That's right. If you want to know more about the work of World Methodist Evangelism, we're not directly in the business of short-term mission, but uh, it's more of my area of, of study coming into it. You can go mm-hmm. to worldmethodist.org. We're there to provide resources and events to strengthen discipleship and equip Christ followers to share their faith in Jesus Christ. Awesome. Amen. I love it. Well, Rob, it's been uh, really a lot of fun. And yes. uh, it'd be fun to have you on again sometime just to you know, see if we could do, like, maybe every year we do the state of short-term missions. <laughs> Give us an update. Just see, see what's going on. Yeah. All right. All right. It'd be an honor. Thanks. Yep, All bless right. you. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.